Hello there, my name is Andrew Gomison, and as always, I am delighted to be your host for the Speaking for Him podcast. Back in late January, early February, there was a campaign that kicked off nationwide on television and I believe billboards called He Gets Us. And a lot of people had opinions either way as to whether this was a good campaign. To refresh your memory, the He Gets Us campaign was a campaign put together by people who I believe had an earnest desire for people to know more of Jesus Christ. Now, there was a debate as to whether it went far enough. Uh, Obviously, people on the liberal side thought that you shouldn't talk about Jesus at all, and people who were really conservative Bible-believing Christians said that they didn't emphasize his deity enough. So there was a blog post by a podcaster and speaker by the name of Natasha Crane, and I actually saw it, and she listed seven problems with the He Gets Us campaign. Now, if you remember a few months ago when I discussed this, I said that it would be good to have a balanced view, that perhaps she was right about it not going far enough, but that also it could be a good discussion starter for people wanting to talk with their friends about who Jesus was and his importance in society and for them personally if they would trust him. That being said, though, I went back and looked at the blog post that Natasha Crane wrote about this issue, and while I'm not 100% sure that all of these things apply to the He Gets Us campaign, I did believe that each of these seven things that she talks about addressed some major errors that the world falls into when they are discussing who Jesus is and what he came to do. So over the next two podcasts, I'm going to talk about each of these points that she made in her blog post in a general sense. Because it is very important as a believer in Jesus Christ to know who Jesus is and what he came to do. That is the foundation of our faith. If you are in error about your belief in Jesus Christ, then the rest of your faith is in error because Jesus is the true cornerstone of our faith. Paul said that if Jesus be not risen, truly our faith is in vain. So we need to know how to rightly divide the word of truth. And I've just been really burdened, as you know, over the last couple of years especially, that apologetics is something that this podcast needs to take seriously. And so I hope that as you listen to this episode, you will pass it on to your family and friends if it is beneficial, and that you will give me feedback at the end of the show if it is something that has encouraged you or if there is something that you think that I should discuss as we go further. Now, the initial idea of this podcast series, if you will, is to just do these two episodes and see where things go. I would like to flush out each attribute or each topic discussion into a separate episode, but I'm not sure how that will unfold. All I can tell you is that for the next two weeks, we will be talking about the seven aspects which Natasha saw as problems with the He Gets Us campaign and which I also see as problems with our society's perception of the Lord Jesus. So I'm excited for that, but first, 
I want to talk to you about what is going on. First, I just want to tell you that this is the last episode where I will be talking about current events news stories directly on the main podcast. Why is that, you ask? Because starting next week, I will be bringing you on the same podcast stream, same podcast network, Speaking for Him Culture Watch. And that is essentially going to be the What's Going On segment as a separate podcast. I'm excited about this because I know that for some people, hearing me talk about current events week in and week out gets to be a little much, and so I want to be sensitive to that. But also, I have a great desire to continue to talk about these things because we need to be able to affect our culture for Christ. We are not of this world, but we are in this world, and we are not simply to push pause on life while we wait for God to call us home. We are to be active and to burn bright. And so, as I said, I will continue to discuss current events from a Christian perspective through the Speaking for Him Culture Watch podcast. You don't have to do anything to subscribe because if you are already subscribed to the Speaking for Him podcast, you will receive Culture Watch. I'm thinking that it's going to be every Monday. I will update you if I change the day. So Monday we'll be here with Culture Watch. Wednesday we'll be here with the Speaking for Him podcast. And I will continue to bring sermons also to this stream. And those typically come out on Fridays. So there's always good content here with Speaking for Him. So I want you to be aware of that and to be sure that you share any of these podcasts or sermons with your family and friends. They are always free on speakingforhim.com. But along those lines, if you were so inclined, I would very much appreciate it if you could give a donation to Speaking for Him. I don't ask for that much on this show, but as more and more people have been listening to the show, my storage costs have gone up. And so if you want to help me to continue to keep Speaking for Him content free for everyone listening, I would encourage you to give a donation if you are so inclined. With that being said, here is the news story that I want to talk to you about today. This is an update on the Target controversy as we lead into Pride Month. Another story that is making headlines, Target, um, uh, basically losing more than $9 billion in market value in just one week. It's all about the backsplash, uh, the backlash rather, over pushing Pride Month merchandise for children. So this isn't about bathing suits, okay? This is now child's clothing. The retail giant said earlier this week it was removing some items from its stores and making other changes to its LGBTQ merch nationwide ahead of Pride Month, but the damage may be done. 
They do it because they're stupid. They don't understand that their core business is not offending half the people of America. And they keep doing it because they hire these young uh, 20-something-year-old marketing geniuses who think that their real job is to go out and uh, sort of pander to people on the extreme fringe. And in doing so, they alienate a whole lot of the customers in flyover country. These companies have lost their uh, collective minds. Now, I haven't stepped foot in a Target with my children since all of this hoopla has started, but it would be bad enough to try to explain to my children why women's bathing suits have extra room in the crotch. I mean, that's bad enough. Actually, Tyrus, last night on Gutfeld, I was on with him, said that he was in a Target with his nine-year-old, and she saw it. And so explanation was, that's where you put your goggles. I thought that was brilliant. Anyway, uh, so, I mean, but, I mean, honestly, children... And LGBTQ, it's a very adult content, and now they're pushing it in stores. It makes me afraid to go shopping, Charlie. Yeah, no, it's amazing. Uh, and I'm no expert on Target. I've never darkened the doorway of a Target. I don't need cheap junk from China, uh, so I don't shop there in the first place. But that said, it is insane that these companies uh, try to, to, in the name of in- inclusivity, try to, to push this stuff on kids. It's about indoctrination more than it is about even making a, 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 you know, a bottom line. And it's interesting when you look back. You know, it used to be that companies spent millions and millions of dollars every year studying their 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 customers and figuring out what their customers want and they've like thrown all that out the window and they don't care anymore they would rather lecture their customers and push creepy agenda uh items on their uh, on their customers and it just seems like a insane way to do business i'm not gonna belabor this because we've talked about this on numerous occasions on this podcast but Can we just take a minute to think about what has occurred over the last couple of weeks? And if you want to push it out a little further over the last month or month and a half. First, we saw Bud Light take a nosedive for five straight weeks in losing money because they partnered with trans activist Dylan Mulvaney. And then we have seen Target losing billions of dollars in market share. Their stocks are falling, and there's no sign of that letting up. They are losing a ton of business by making this stand on continuing, especially, to cater to minors. The first thing I want to say is this. When they were first pushing for gay marriage to be a thing, Everybody said what they do in their own bedrooms is fine. You shouldn't pressure them not to be able to do it. We should be able to be allowed to have domestic partnerships and we should just let them live their lives. And then when those started coming in vogue, then it was like, well, why can't they get married? They want to get married. And so they said, let's take this step. And there's a slippery slope here because now that's not enough. Now we have to push transgenderism in our society and we have to pressure minors who can't even make decisions about what to eat every day and make them decide what gender they are and say that they have the power to decide that they're not the gender that God made them to be. 
And I'm so glad that people are pushing back, which leads me to my next point. If we as conservatives can make a difference by boycotting Target and boycotting uh, Bud Light, why is it that we don't make a difference in the ballot box? Now, I know that there are suspicions that there was some cheating going on in 2020. And I think it's very possible. I'm not sure how big of a scale it was going on at, but it's pretty hard to deny in some areas. But that being said, I have grown up with so many believers in Jesus who are passionate about him who didn't want to make any of their positions known in the ballot box. And it always grieved me because we live in one of the few countries where you can actually go to a ballot box and make your opinion freely known. So my appeal to you would be, if you are one of the people that is flexing your business dollars by boycotting Bud Light, or flexing your business dollars by boycotting Target, might I encourage you to flex your muscle in the ballot box in 2024 and to vote for people that respect godly values. Now, I know people will say that God is not a Republican or a Democrat, and that is very true. He's not. But if you look at the parties, which party believes in God's definition of marriage? Which party believes in God's definition for the sanctity of life? It's pretty clear the distinctions on just those two issues. And there are others. But I've always encouraged people to be issues voters to find the best candidate that will be their voice going into Congress or going into the White House. We've proven through these boycotts that we do have power, and I think we need to prove it when we go to vote. So I would encourage you to take this seriously, because our country's future is at stake. Yes, I know that the gospel is important, and it is of utmost importance. But when people ask me why I vote the way I do, and why I champion the issues that I do, my answer is because of my faith in Jesus Christ. My faith compels me to take action. If you look at the annals of history and you see people doing good deeds, and you see people establishing households and taking care of orphans, the vast majority of those people throughout history are people that had faith in Jesus Christ. It was often said, or rather asked, when people would run for president, will your faith affect the way you govern? And most of the time it was asked in such a way as to determine whether they could trust a president not to be motivated by his Christian faith. 
But the reality is that the Bible tells us that our Christian faith needs to be permeating everything that we do. Paul said, in him we live and move and have our being. So how can it be separated from the rest of life? It really can't if we are doing it right. I'm always looking for good content to share with you on this podcast, and I'm really excited to share what I have today. I titled this podcast, Myth Versus Truth, Who is the Real Jesus? And this is the first part of our intro. I don't know exactly where God will lead us, but it is my hope that I can develop each one of these points that I'm going to share with you today and next week into individual podcast episodes. So we will see where that goes. I am trying to make sure that all of my podcasts that go together are put into playlists so that my series are easily discernible. Um, You can already find a lot of them on my audio player on my website. Or you can go directly to the audio player by going to speakingforhim.sermon.net. And there's a pull-down menu where you can sort by series. And there will be more series added, uh, but there's several that are already pulled together for your use. But today, we really want to ask that question, who is the real Jesus? Because almost everybody respects Jesus as a cultural figure. And that was actually the main criticism that Natasha Crane had in the podcast upon which this series is loosely based, was that you can't just respect Jesus as a cultural figure. You have to realize who he is, and that is King of Kings and Lord of Lords. That is the Son of God. And so that's what we're going to dig into today. But first, I want to share a quote of the day. It's from Matthew sixteen sixteen, and it says, And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. This is Jesus asking the question, Who do men say that I am? And they said, Some said Elijah, some said the prophets. And then he says, Who do you say that I am? Because Jesus doesn't really care what other people think of him. He doesn't want to hear from you or or myself what other people think of him. He wants to ask us, and he is asking us today that question, who do you say that I am? And our answer is the difference between eternity in heaven and eternity in hell. That's actually the question that compelled me to come to faith in Jesus Christ. My great-grandfather had died when I was a young boy, and I asked my mom, Is he in heaven? And she said, I don't know because I don't know what he did with Jesus Christ. And so it is of utmost importance for us to know who is the real Jesus. And so we're going to look at some myths that the world perpetuates. And then we are going to look at the truth. So the first myth that the world perpetuates is Jesus was just a man. If you walk up to someone 
on the street and you ask them about Jesus Christ, they may often tell you that he was a moral teacher with some good things to follow. But they will often stop there. They don't think he was more than just a man. So what does the truth say? The truth in Scripture is, first of all, this was very much the response of the people in Jesus' day as well. John 6.42 says this, And they said, Is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How is it then that he saith, I came down from heaven? So even back in Jesus' day, with Jesus walking among them, many people questioned his divinity. He just got done feeding the 5,000. He's explaining his relationship with God the Father. Uh, He's basically claiming deity here, and they said, how can he say that he is deity when he is Joseph's son, and we know Joseph, and we know his mother Mary? He's just a normal person. But Jesus minced no words. I saw a recent uh, TikTok that was actually refuted by uh, Red Pen Logic with Mr. B. If you haven't heard that interview that I did a few weeks ago, go back and listen to it. Mr. B was a delightful guest, and he has a real passion for apologetics and for the Lord Jesus. And so that was really exciting to interview him. But this man basically said Jesus never claimed to be God, and if he did, it would be front and center in the Bible. So the fact that he did not means that it didn't happen and it wasn't important because it would be easy to spot if it was true. But the reality is that it is easy to spot because Jesus claimed several times to be the Son of God. So let me read to you a couple passages. First of all, one of my favorite passages in the whole Bible John 8, 56-58 says, Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. Then said the Jews unto him, Thou art not yet fifty years old, and hast thou seen Abraham? Jesus saith unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Before Abraham was, I am. And I want to point out a couple things here. First of all, Jesus had a personal relationship with Abraham because God and the Son and the Holy Spirit are one, and Abraham was a friend of God. We don't know exactly how or in what form or how much he understood, but Jesus is saying here that Abraham knew that a Redeemer was coming. As a matter of fact, he was told that through his seed, all the nations of the world would be blessed. And Jesus is the fulfillment of that prophecy. So the first thing we see is that these people say, well, you're not even 50 years old. Jesus was about 30 or 31, somewhere in there, maybe close to 33. It was somewhere in that three-year period between 30 and 33. And so they said, you're not even 50. How can you know? And he says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, before Abraham was, I am. Jesus was invoking the very name of God that spoke to Moses out of the burning bush. Jesus was there. 
Jesus is very God. He's the only one who is 100% man and 100% God. We must understand the 100% God to accept the Lord Jesus as our Savior and to get the full benefit of following him. We cannot simply say we should follow him as a moral teacher because one aspect of being a moral teacher is being a truth teller. So if he's claiming to be God, then he's not a moral teacher if he's not God because then he's a liar and liars aren't moral teachers. The next passage I want to share with you is from Colossians 2, 8-10. to Paul says, Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit, after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and ye are complete in him, which is the head of all, principality, and power. So Paul is saying here that Jesus Christ was fully God. There are a variety of beliefs here that people have. Some people say that when the Holy Spirit fell on Jesus at his baptism, that's when he became divine. But the Bible teaches us that Jesus, according to John chapter 1, was there at the creation of the world. In Proverbs chapter 30, the writer is saying, what is God's name if you can tell, or his son's name? The writer of Proverbs knew that God had a son by some divine revelation, even though he had not set foot on the earth. Jesus did not become God after becoming human. He was God, and he condescended to being a human, and he went back to heaven as a human And I believe that one day I will look on him as a human and thank him for his sacrifice. And I'm excited for that day. So that's the first myth, that Jesus was only a man. We must believe that Jesus was the fullness of the Godhead bodily because that's what the Bible says. And God said it, and I believe it. And that settles it for me. Myth number two is that Jesus was just an example. Again, this is somewhat related, but some people say Jesus was a good example on how to live life, but that's all he was. He was just a good example set forth for us to learn to love But the reality is that the ultimate in love is that Jesus laid down his life for us on the cross to redeem us from sin, and the only way he could do that is if the truth was that Jesus was and is the perfect Son of God. Peter wrote in his first epistle, For even hereunto were you called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow in his steps. Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth, who when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judges righteously. Who his own self bare our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, being dead to sin, should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes ye are healed. 
For ye were as sheep going astray, but now are returned unto the shepherd and bishop of your souls. And that's First Peter 2.21-25. So I want you to notice a couple of things. First of all, Peter does point out that Jesus was the example for us, but he goes farther than we could ever go. Because it says, Who did no sin, neither was any guile found in his mouth. Who, When he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. So Jesus didn't rail against his accusers. He didn't revile again. He didn't call down fire upon the people that were nailing him to the cross. He didn't threaten anybody when he suffered. As a matter of fact, over and over you hear his love and compassion for others. First in the cry, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Then in his interaction with the thief on the cross, when he says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, today you will be with me in paradise. And then also with his mother and the Apostle John, giving them a reason to go on, giving them each other to be a a sustainer and a hope for them, giving John a mother and Mary a son. And so everything he did on the cross was about caring for others. None of us could do that. We would all want to revile. We would all want to get revenge. Jesus was the only one who could do that. And consequently, he was the only one who could bear our sins in his own body on the tree. That was made possible because he wasn't just an example, but was the very Son of God and is the very Son of God because the Bible says Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And here's the passage that I referred to earlier when I talked about Jesus being present at the creation. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. So we have here a literary discussion about the beginning of time. In the beginning was the Word. It doesn't say in the beginning the Word came to be. It says the the Word was there in the beginning. And then it says the Word was with God. And then it says the Word was God. So Jesus the Word was God. And then it says he was in the beginning with God. And then it says all things were made by him. Remember when man in particular was made, it says let us make man in our image. This is the first mention of the Trinity. The three persons of the Godhead working together and creating mankind so that we could live in harmony with him and worship him forever. So the second myth is Jesus was just an example. So the myths we've covered so far... Jesus was just a man, and then Jesus was just an example. The third myth of the seven that we will be covering in this series is that Jesus was not judgmental. Now, of course, there's a difference between judging rightly and being judgmental as we understand it in our modern society. We are not called to be judgmental. We are called to be merciful 
We should not look down our nose at anyone. But when the world says that Jesus wasn't judgmental, they just tend to say, well, Jesus just let people live their lives however they wanted to. But a close reading of Scripture shows us that that is not the case. In Matthew 23, 23-27, Jesus has very sharp words for the Pharisees. He says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For ye pay the tithe of mint and anise and cumin, and have omitted the weightier manners of law, judgment, mercy, and faith. These ought ye to have done, and not to leave the other undone. Ye blind guides, which strain at a gnat and swallow a camel, woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees and hypocrites! For ye make clean the outside of the cup and of the platter, But within they are full of extortion and excess. Thou blind Pharisee, cleanse first that which is within the cup and platter, that the outside of them may be clean also. Woe to you, scribes, Pharisees, and hypocrites, for ye are alike unto whited sepulchres, which indeed appear beautiful outward, but within are full of dead man's bones and of all uncleanness. And again, that's Matthew twenty-three, twenty-three to 27. Look at what Jesus is doing. He is saying to these Pharisees, you pretend to do my will. There's another passage where he says, you profess to know me, but your hearts are far from me. And I especially am convicted by the last part of this, where he says, for you are like unto whited sepulchers, which indeed appear beautiful outward, but are within, full of dead man's bones, and of all uncleanness. The Bible says the heart of man is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked who can know it. The only way we can have a heart change is to have Jesus change it. And when it talks about a heart full of dead man's bones, it is really something that Paul reinforces uh, in Romans when he says that no one seeks after God, there is no one good. Um, and in Ephesians he said, you were dead in your trespasses and sins, but now you are made alive in Jesus Christ. There's a saying that's been going around for a while, and I think it's really good, and it says this, God did not die to make bad people good, He died to make dead people alive. And I think that's so good because so many of us can have the mindset, I know I have had the mindset in the past, but I need to keep myself from this mindset, which is I can do 80% of good, but if I trust Jesus for the other 20, then I'm set. But the reality is that everything good that I do comes from God. In Philippians it says, For it is God who worketh in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. And I know if you've listened to this podcast for any length of time, or you've heard me preach, you've heard that verse, because I use it a lot. But I use it as much to remind myself, as anyone else, that God is the one who brings any good out of my life. So then we see another instance where Jesus uh, 
calls out sin, makes a judgment. He says in Matthew twenty-one twelve to 16, And Jesus went into the temple of God and cast out all them that sold and bought in the temple and overthrew the tables of the money changers and the seats of them that sold dove and said unto them, It is written, My house shall be called the house of prayer, but ye have made it into a den of thieves. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. And when the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying in the temple and saying, Hosanna to the son of David, they were sore displeased. And he said unto them, Hearest thou what these say? And Jesus said unto them, Yea, have you not read out of the mouth of babes and sucklings? Thou hast perfected praise. So first of all, Jesus comes on the scene and people are violating his law and they're doing unjust work as money changers in the temple. Jesus cast them out and then people came to be healed and children are praising the name of the Lord. And the Pharisees who are supposed to love God, the temple leaders who are supposed to love God and rejoice at the truth being told, they are sore displeased. I don't know for sure, but I'm wondering if some of those temple leaders got kickbacks for allowing those money exchanges and they were upset that one of their streams of income was taken out. I think that's a reasonable assumption. I'm reminded of Paul with the demon-possessed girl. She followed him around for days. She says these are servants of the Most High God. He doesn't want to be praised by a demon, so he calls it out of her, and now they can't make money from her as a psychic, so they're mad, and they have them thrown in prison. People hate the name of Jesus Christ used correctly. So we see that Jesus was indeed judgmental, if you will, by the world standards when it was called for. So the next myth and the final one for today's episode is Jesus is inclusive. And again, on the surface, this is not a bad thing. We should include others. We should not exclude others because they disagree with us. We should lovingly include them whenever possible. But so often the world takes inclusivity to mean that whatever your lifestyle is, it is acceptable to God and acceptable to me and I will just let you live it. Even though the truth is that if you are doing something to damage yourself or others and I call you on it out of love, it is because I care and I don't want you to go to hell. If your house was on fire, would you want me just to walk by it and say, oh, he'll take care of it if he wants to. Maybe he just likes it extra hot. Or do you want me to pound on your door and let you know that your house is on fire so you can get out and be saved? So the truth behind this myth that Jesus is inclusive is actually Jesus meets us where we are but doesn't leave us there. He meets us where we are but doesn't leave us there. There are other people 
who profess to be Christians, who are kind of on the opposite extreme of this, sometimes unintentionally, where we kind of convey this idea that you should clean yourself up before you go to the Lord for help. But the reality is that we cannot clean ourselves up. And so anytime we get into that trap of trying, our efforts will be futile. The prophets said that our righteousness is as an unclean thing. I believe that was in Isaiah. I will look that up and have the proper reference on my blog for this episode. Incidentally, make sure that you always check out the blog for Speaking for Him because there's always extra stuff about the show if the topics warrant it. For instance, we will have the the blog post that this podcast series is based on as well. So myth four is Jesus is inclusive. The truth is that Jesus meets us where we are, but doesn't leave us there. And I just have a couple examples of that. The first one is from John chapter five. This is the lame man at the pool of Bethesda says he answered them. He that made me whole the same said unto me, take up thy bed and walk. Then asked they him, what man is that which said unto thee, take up thy bed and walk. And he that was healed wist not who it was, for Jesus had conveyed himself away, a multitude being in that place. Afterward, Jesus findeth him in the temple, and saith unto him, Behold, thou art made whole, sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon you. The man departed and told the Jews that it was Jesus which had made him whole. That's John five eleven to 15 Now, just a couple of things I want to mention here. First of all, the context of this is that this is the man at the pool of Bethesda. And he had been healed by Jesus after not being able to get into the water to have it stirred up and be healed that way. And Jesus basically tells that man, all you need is me. Do you want to be healed? The man ultimately looks onto Jesus and is healed. And then Jesus says, take up your bed and walk. And these Pharisees or religious leaders see him walking with his bed and all they can think about is how he's violated a Sabbath law against work on the Sabbath and they care more about the bed than the man that was in it for 38 years. That's the first thing I want to mention. The second thing that I would mention about this passage is that Jesus accepts the man where he is. He says, you're lame. There's no way that you can make yourself unlame. I'm going to heal you. And then he goes and finds the lame man later, and he says, sin no more, lest a worse thing befall you. Now, there are plenty of times in the scripture where a disability or a defect has nothing to do with personal sin. But in this particular case, it did. Hence, Jesus' warning. Sin no more. You see, it's not enough to come to Jesus and ask him to be our Savior. We have to repent. We have to acknowledge our sin. We have to repent of it and trust him to help us 
become better people as he changes our heart from the inside out. That's what needs to happen in the life of a believer if they want their life to truly get better. Jesus said, I've come to give them life and life more abundant. John chapter 10, verse 9. And so we need to be aware of that. The next passage that I want to share with you is from John chapter 8, 7 to 11. So when they continued asking him, he lifted up himself and said unto them, He that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And when they heard it, being convicted by their own conscience, went out one by one, beginning at the oldest, even unto the last. And Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had lifted up himself and saw none but the woman, he said unto her, Woman, where are thine accusers? Hath no man condemned me? She said, No man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. I want to point out a couple of things here too. Jesus never says that the woman is not a sinner. And he doesn't say that she doesn't need to deal with her sin. But they keep asking him whether she should be stoned or not. And one interesting aspect of this story is that adultery takes two people, but there's no mention of a guy who committed adultery with her. Just her. And Jesus says, He that is without sin among you, let him cast the first stone. This is often quoted by the world whenever someone calls someone out for their sin. As if it should just dismiss their sin. But look at what Jesus does. This is so important to realize. Jesus starts, I think, based on this passage, writing the sins of the people in the audience, the people with the stones. Now, I can't definitively say this, but I think it's a logical theory that this is what Jesus is writing. Or maybe he's simply writing the Ten Commandments, and they're seeing how they haven't fulfilled them. Whatever the case may be, they realize that they are not perfect. They realize that they don't have grounds to condemn her because otherwise they're condemning themselves. And from the oldest to the youngest, they leave. That's the first thing. They realize gradually, hey, I'm not in a position to do this based on what he is doing, whatever that was. But the next thing I want you to notice is that Jesus addresses the woman directly and he says, Where are thine accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? And she says, No man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. So the key phrase in this verse, or in this passage, is go and sin no more. I remember several years ago, I was in a bookstore. I like bookstores. Or perhaps it was the library. I don't remember exactly right now. 
but it was one of the two. I love books. And I happened to see Bill Clinton's autobiography, My Life, and it's this huge book. I will probably never read it cover to cover, but I decided to flip through it. And I found the section where he was talking about his affair with Monica Lewinsky and coming clean about it. And he actually quotes this passage in John chapter 8, where Jesus says, neither do I condemn thee. But he left out the last phrase, go and sin no more. You see, God is willing to forgive us, and he tells us as his followers to forgive others, even if they do the same thing seven times in a day and earnestly seek forgiveness, we should give it. But also, Jesus wants us to be about the practice of becoming better people. The Christian life is a daily journey of sanctification. As we submit to God, we become better people because of the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. That is why Jesus says it's not enough to just go. You have to go and sin no more. And the Holy Spirit will give you the power to do that. So that is the key. The final verse that I want to share with you today is, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. 2 Corinthians 5.17 And this is a very familiar verse. And as I often say, I like to share the familiar verses because familiarity can sometimes breed apathy. So let's look at this one. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he may be a new creature? No, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. When you place your faith in Jesus Christ, a new journey begins. The journey of the Christian life. Justification happens instantaneously, As Jesus said to the thief on the cross, today you will be with me in paradise. You cannot be more justified than you are today. But sanctification, that of becoming more and more conformed to the image of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, that is a lifetime endeavor. But this verse signifies the beginning of something that has no end. Paul reinforces this in Philippians 1.6 when he says, Being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will be faithful to complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. God doesn't renege on what he begins. He doesn't leave half-finished projects. He counted the cost. The cost was his very life. But he decided that you and I were worth it. He decided that dying for you and dying for me was worth the agony because of the joy that was set before him. And what was that joy? That joy was that he was going to sit down at the right hand of the throne of God and intercede for us for all eternity. 
Do you ever just stop and think about that? That he's been interceding for mankind for over 2,000 years? That is mind-blowing, and yet it is so, so very true. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Now, as I've talked about on this podcast, this is in no way saying that you can reach sinless perfection here on earth. But what it is saying is that you have a new nature and a way to combat sin that you didn't have before. Remember, without God, we're not even capable of seeking him. That's why Jesus said, no man comes to me except the Father draws him. Because there's nothing in me that is in my flesh that is good. Paul said that of himself, and surely it is true of us. So I hope you've been encouraged today as we have unpacked the first four of these seven myths that people have believed about Jesus. We will be unpacking three more next week, and I'm excited to share that with you. Let me just review very quickly the four myths that we've covered today. We started out today by talking about the fact that the first myth was that Jesus is just a man. And the truth is, Jesus was and is the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Then we had our second myth, which was somewhat related, that Jesus was just an example. But we combated that with the truth that Jesus was and is the perfect Son of God. Then we addressed the myth number three, which is, Jesus was not judgmental. And then we talked about the truth, which is that Jesus regularly called out sin. And our final myth, Jesus is inclusive. And the truth is, Jesus meets us where we are, but he doesn't leave us there. There is a meme on Facebook that basically said, Jesus didn't sit with tax collectors and sinners to celebrate their sin. He sat with tax collectors and sinners to call them to something more. And I would add that he sat with them because they were willing to be called to something more. They had more open hearts than did the religious leaders of Jesus' day. That is a sobering thing to say, but it is very true. Well, I hope that you have enjoyed this episode and that you will share it with family and friends. Please make sure to leave feedback with the contact information that's about to roll at the end of the show. Please know that I would love to pray for you if you want to reach out to me and ask for prayer for any reason. Know that I love you and that this podcast is a labor of love because I want people to walk closer with the King of Kings, the Lord Jesus Christ. With that being said, I will simply say, have a great week and keep serving the best of masters. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Your host has been Andrew Gomison, founder of Speaking for Him. For more information on today's show and to leave us comments and voicemails, visit speakingforhim.blogspot.com.
You can find Andrew's ministry at speakingforhim.com. That's speaking, the number four, H-I-M. You can also interact with us at facebook.com slash speakingforhim and on Twitter at speakingforhim. And when you look for us on iTunes and Stitcher, let us know what you think of the podcast by leaving a rating and review.